And that's the vision for Housing Solutions for Hope is to provide hope for families who are in clinical crisis, like the families that are at Seattle Children's are dealing with very sick children and you shouldn't have to worry about where you're going to stay. Hi, I'm Okulu, and this is a special live audience recording of Don't Be Coy. The episode you are about to hear is from our inaugural charity showcase series. Don't Be Coy's mission is to build a community where individuals connect through their shared experiences of developing a larger pond for life. And to spread that mission, we'll be hosting quarterly charity events as an opportunity for individuals to network, learn about a great cause, and find ways to engage. Through these series, we hope to not only expand our pond community, but also help those with it. For our summer social event in June, we had Lori and Scott Bingham, founders of Housing Solutions for Hope, a Seattle Children's Guild, which focuses on providing housing aid for patient families at Seattle Children's. In our conversations, we explored their why, for who they're trying to serve, and how we all can support this mission. Let's tap in. All right, Lori Bingham. And during the day, I work at T-Mobile and Senior Director in Technology. But in this aspect, I'm a co-founder of Housing Solutions for Hope. We founded it and Scott will tell you all of this longer story of how he initiated all of it but I'm it's very personal to me because of some of our family circumstances that have intersected with Seattle Children's and so it became very very personal to be able to support others through their journey as they're taking care of their kiddos at Seattle Children's we have many intersections to Seattle Children's, including employment of several of us at Seattle Children's at certain times. I'm also one of the board trustees for the Guild Association and one of the officers coming up in September this next year. I'm really expanding my involvement with Seattle Children's in new and different ways. I was a consultant there and worked there for a little while too just really trying to give back in in ways that I can't do in my corporate America kind of job. Thanks, Melvin. Thanks for inviting us here this evening. And uh, it's really a pleasure to be part of your podcast this evening. We go back um, a few years, having worked together at Seattle Children's probably over the last five years. And uh, what inspired me was the need. And when I saw so I've worked at Seattle Children's for 12 years and uh, one of the senior leaders in information technology. And I had the opportunity to witness firsthand families who were in need and in need of housing. And so Seattle Children's has a remarkable organizational mission, which is to take care of every family's needs and provide hope, care, and cures for every family, every patient, irrespective of their ability to pay for that care. And so where I stepped in, I had seen a gap and that gap was specifically with housing. And it made me very curious and I had to learn more about what this gap meant to the families. As I started to talk with physicians and other leaders within Seattle Children's, what I found was housing insecurity was prevalent across many of the families who have to travel 
from far distances to have their kiddos cared for at Seattle Children's. So families come from, of course, Washington, Alaska, Montana, Idaho, and even further across the country. So many of our families, while having to travel, have to set up a second home, a temporary residence, which puts extra financial burden on those families who are already trying to take care of a very sick child. And so as one of my professors and mentors at Seattle University mentioned to me, when you see something, you cannot unsee that. And I saw this gap and I felt compelled to do something as a result of seeing that gap. And as I started to talk with other leaders, I began to ask questions of what could I do and how could I make an impact to help these families who already had a huge burden on their shoulders as a parent of a very sick child, trying to deal with helping that child and trying to maintain a safe, stable home for the rest of the family became an unnecessary burden that we wanted to help with. And thus the birth of Housing Solutions for Hope about late 2008 when we started the Guild. Thank you for that. You mentioned financial assistance. What does that particularly look like for supporting the patient families and what are those particular gaps? Yeah, when we started the Guild, Guilds are five C3 nonprofits within Seattle Children's. And we wrote our business plan. We created our mission, if you will. And part of that mission was to provide safe, stable, clean housing. And that took on many different solutions. And the financial support that we provide shows up in a few different ways. One, we will pay the rent or the mortgage for a family in need. So we work very closely with social work at Seattle Children's to determine which families are going to benefit the most. There are so many families in need that we've created an application process that the clinical teams and social work teams bring those families in through to make the determination of is it rent or is it mortgage mm. uh, payment up to three months, irrespective of the amount. We will also cover short-term lodging, which in other words, could be a long-term stay hotel room for six weeks, two months, that kind of thing, an Airbnb, those sorts of financial aids are put in place to help the family. So essentially we're helping cover the expense of their housing. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. You mentioned an application process, understanding to the fact that this organization is there to help the patient families and understanding that these families are already going through a financial strife. What does that application look like to prevent as many barriers as possible? Yeah, great question, Melvin. Thank you for asking that. When we created that process, I wanted it to be very simple. Essentially, the clinical teams as part of their care for all families ask the social determinants of health questions. Do you have shelter? Do you have transportation? Do you have the food that you need? So basic questions like that lead to the application for housing. And basically it is, where are you living? What are your circumstances? And the nurse and social work help complete that for the family. And social work makes the final determination. The guild, we're chartered to raise the money for the families. We donate 100% of all our proceeds after expenses to Seattle Children's into a special account, which is then 
used by social work to pay the direct mortgage or rent payments from that account. It's a very low barrier. Essentially, who is your landlord? Where do we send the check? And we can take it from there. There are instances as well where we will help advocate for housing for families. The Seattle Children's Social Work team will contact a landlord and say, hey, the check is coming. It's coming from Seattle Children's as a result of Housing Solutions for Hope. And so there's a confidence and a trust that is also built to help with that family's needs. I think that's really phenomenal and tremendous work to be able to, one, advocate for that family because mm -hmm. I think that one of the barriers that a lot of families can go through is having a sick kiddo, all of their attention is going to be focused on that. And then being able to build the, I guess you could say confidence for lack of a better term, to be able to advocate for that housing and taking that burden off. Mm -hmm. I think that's really just phenomenal. And on that same vein, I'm curious about what are some of the success stories, if you will, around some of the families that you've helped and what does that myriad of experiences look like? One is from this last weekend, I'll have to say. There are families who are traveling to Seattle because of the expertise of the care that they provide. Carsby is, is the groundbreaking location at Seattle Children's to be able to get that kind of treatment. So we have a website and families will contact us through the website. Now that's not necessarily um, the process that Scott was walking you through where the nurses and doctors and uh, social workers are talking with the patient families. But these are patient families who, like this one who contacted us this weekend, it, are coming from Florida. They have a seven-year-old very sick child they know that they're going to have to set up housing in some way, shape, or form here in Seattle for eight weeks while their child is on a CAR T-cell trial. So they know they have double housing expenses for at least that eight-week period. And so they're already proactively trying to figure out how the heck am I going to pay for all of that? And so they reach out to us and then we contact social work they get in touch with a social worker, we'll talk directly to that family. But that's an example of they're traveling from other parts of the country here to Seattle. We've also met families over in Eastern Washington coming from Kennewick, Yakima. They're not infinitely far away, but that's a really long drive. Right. That's a really long drive. And if your kiddo is coming to Seattle, and sometimes it's actually more complicated when they're outpatient. So they may only have to come from a doctor patient perspective. They may only be coming once a week to the hospital, or maybe it's twice a week. So it's not like they're in the hospital, but they live in Yakima. So coming to Seattle is a very large burden. And suddenly they have to have a second home. They have to, and oftentimes the um, cancer treatments, et cetera, keep you within a certain location, a radius of the hospital. You can't be multiple hours away from the hospital. You have to be within a, a certain radius. We've heard stories about kiddos who have not been able to be released out of the hospital because they don't have a place close enough to the hospital to be released to that is safe and secure and and provided for them because they live multiple hours away. So the, the complications get extreme pretty quickly when you're thinking about setting up a second household. And it doesn't have to 
be out of state. Like I said, it could be Eastern Washington. We've got families from the South End, South of Tacoma University Place. Like that's, that's a long enough drive that it makes this really complicated. And the area around Seattle Children's is not an inexpensive neighborhood. And so it's not like there's all kinds of options for people to choose from. So just being able to make that um, one to three month might be eight weeks. Like I was saying, um, family from Florida is just needing something for, for eight weeks. Like that is enough to be able to release the pressure from the family on how the heck am I going to do that? That's one less thing that they have to worry about. And suddenly they can actually focus on the, the health care of their child, the temperament of their um, family, making sure that the kids stay together. Like oftentimes we'll hear stories about families have to essentially split up mom or dad have to be at the hospital with the kiddo while the other parent and the other children are home in Montana or Idaho or Alaska because they have to take care of everybody. And it becomes a quick burden. Like I was saying earlier, just our own family, our youngest son who's, who's 25 and graduated from law school, so it all turns out good. But he had a really serious concussion and I was at work one day on a Friday and he had a concussion and I was not at work for another four months because I needed to be at home with him. He could not be alone. There are multiple symptoms with concussions, including depression. And with a teen boy, he needed somebody there with him. And so I, I was not at work for a long time. Now, if I had to also think about where am I gonna live? How are we going to take him to appointments? How are we going to financially manage all of that complexity? Because we have three girls too, so that we have a large family. It could have really easily tipped us over. Thank goodness it didn't. But it's really easy for me to imagine if I was, instead of just sitting and reading Harry Potter stories to him, I was trying to have to figure out where am I going to live and how am I going to keep housing and a safe, secure place for him to be able to heal. That would have been really difficult. No. Really difficult. Totally understand that. And thank you for sharing that personal story as well. Yeah, to hear that your son is doing better. One of the things that I'm curious about is you're doing a lot of this good work and there's a lot of success stories associated with it as well. I'm curious what the goal or expanding your reach would look like for the guild. Is it building a building, if you will, or is it more so of having the awareness and sharing the education and learning that services like this are available mm -hmm. for families that are in Florida, being able to be that kind of proactive. Sometimes you don't necessarily know about what emergencies are going to come, but if you're aware of what resources that you can utilize, that makes a whole world of difference because any kind of emergency drill, like for earthquake or hurricanes or tornadoes, you mm -hmm. do it so many times you know what to do. So I'm curious as far as what does expanding your reach um, from your eyes look like? Is it more so an awareness or being able to actually provide the physical housing for the, the yeah. families? Scott dreams big. Melvin, that's a great question. And I'll start it with a short story. So one of the first families that we were able to help the Dowway family, we helped them relocate from Alaska. They had to be airlifted 
out of Alaska, leave everything behind, found themselves homeless in Seattle in a shelter. Their son was at Seattle Children's, the only place that could take care of his clinical needs. And Heather told us after we had helped them relocate into their home, we had helped them with first month's rent, et cetera, this gave them hope for the first time. And the first time that their two and a half year old son, Isaiah, was able to be in a home, he had lived in the hospital his whole life. And having a home, in Heather's words, gave them hope. And that's the vision for Housing Solutions for Hope, is to provide hope for families who are in clinical crisis, like the families that are at Seattle Children's are dealing with very sick children, and you shouldn't have to worry about where you're going to stay. Now, you asked about building a building. That is one of the core components of the vision for a long-term goal, if you will, is to have a physical structure. What we know, there are organizations that are fantastic, like Ronald McDonald House. It's right across the street from the hospital. They are always full and there's always a wait list. There are fantastic organizations like Mary's Place that provide housing and shelter. What our goal is long-term is to have a building in partnership with Seattle Children's. In fact, we're meeting with a colleague this week to talk about some apartments that are subsidized for patient families and how housing solutions can partner further with Seattle Children's. To your other point, in order to ever reach that goal, we have to reach into our community. And just as Seattle Children's was founded on philanthropy over 113 years ago, a group of moms got together and they literally did penny drive door to door. And that's the uh, genesis of how of Seattle Children's was philanthropy. We believe firmly that through corporate shared value, through our community philanthropy, that we can bring the donors together through awareness and events like this. So thank you so very much for this platform to be able to share the story. And I believe when people are aware of the others in need, that people will respond in kind and will want to do things to help raise money so that we can help additional families. To date, we've helped over 140 families um, with that housing as we've described it. And there are hundreds more that need our help. And whether that be rent or mortgage, actually raising a building, maybe if the building is already built. We don't know. We don't know the journey that we're on. It's a path of many steps and we're taking that boldly and moving forward year over year. Thank you for that question. No, no problem. And thank you for your answer. I think that's a really good segue as far as my next question. How can individuals get in engaged? Obviously, one of the things that and for today's event, as far as being able to donate, I know that you have your Venmo card and the Squarespace and things of that nature. But thinking about this entire platform and thinking about the goal of thinking of community and mm -hmm. how we can all share our various different talents and skills to be able to help our said community. With that, what are some of the ways that an individual could be engaged with Housing Solutions for Hope? Yeah, it takes a community to put together 
an organization like Housing Solutions. We all bring special talents. I have immense privilege to have been at Seattle Children's at the right time to have the capability to start this idea. And I need folks like yourself, Melvin, and all of the people in this room and that might be listening to this podcast who are interested in helping others and helping families specifically at Seattle Children's come together. We have lots of volunteer opportunities. Our guild, our leadership team, our, we're 100% volunteers and every person is individual and brings their authentic self. I ask only to give what you can give of yourself. If you are really good at marketing and communications like Audrey, who's here with us tonight, she has joined us and it is, it's been a blessing. And we have others who have just joined over the years and it has made a team and made possible what we've been able to achieve. Yeah, there's lots of ways that you can help. Yes to straight donations to Seattle Children's Housing Solutions for Hope. And there's QR codes and all of that good stuff to get to all of our sites and all of our social media accounts. So direct donations is the quickest and easiest way. We have fantastic corporate sponsors of our golf tournament, which is our signature event each year. And we have now in our third year sold out two months prior to the golf tournament. Thank you. It's all this man's work. He is diligent about talking with all of them. And like he's saying, when you explain this problem to people, they go, oh, I had no idea. I had yeah. no idea. And everybody just immediately wants to know how can we help? And so these fantastic corporate sponsors are coming and they're bringing their golfers and we're telling them to bring your cash with you too and buy all the prizes. And so the golf tournament is our signature event. We also have plans to be able to do other things too. So if somebody wants to volunteer and we had done a gala um, auction a couple of years ago, Scott and I are not the party planners in the group, but um, if somebody would like to help us party plan and do a, a gala again, we would totally be game for it. So anybody who wants to um, bring their talents. Christina is fantastic with a microphone. And so we handed her a microphone last year and she got the raise the paddle up uh, to new height. So we tap into all of our um, friends and colleagues that we work with. We tap into the corporate sponsors who are their technology companies, but they hear the mission. They hear the need for the patient families and just immediately want to figure out how they can help. So you can volunteer at the golf tournament. You can become a guild member. You can become a corporate sponsor. If you have a building that you want to give to us, we will take it. There's lots of ways that you can help. A lot of people ask, how do you, how are you sure that you have really helped this family and not simply provided a crutch, if you will? We measure it. So the social work team has been able to give us the metrics of and I want to say it's 98%. 98, 99%. 98, 99% of the families that we have helped. So we've already, like Scott was saying, 140 families don't require any additional services and help beyond what we have given them that first time through. So one to three months, it's not a whole lot of money. What is the average? $3,000. $3,000 that we give 
to each of the families on average, it's not a lot of money. It's in perspective of philanthropy and millions of dollars and all of the things, all of the numbers that you hear, these families are not requiring tens of thousands of dollars. They need $3,000. They just need a little bit of help. And Scott was talking about this first family that we helped. They needed to come here from Alaska. They needed first months and last month's rent. They just needed a little help. They had a job, they had the means to be at, like they didn't have a whole lot but they were deep in love with their children and wanting to take care of their family. And so they didn't require a whole lot. Like Scott said, we are incredibly privileged where we are sitting. We want to be able to provide that kind of hope to other families. And so that metric I would say is a really valuable one. If we are seeing that families are successful and their children are, are thriving after they've come out of the hospital with that one gift, that seems a pretty powerful metric. I love it. I love it. Thank you for taking out the time. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you like what you just heard and would love to support, visit Housing Solutions for Hope website at housingsolutionsforhope.com.